0: Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back. This is the OIS Podcast. We're going to talk a little bit more about vision correction. Uh, There's a a company out there, Simple Contacts, that has developed a phone-based app. For folks to basically use if they're wearing contact lenses, if they're running out and they want to renew their prescription. They're fairly confident or they're confident their prescription is the same. They don't feel like they need to go to an eye doctor to have that confirmed so they can use this app. They can read an eye chart. They can have the phone's camera look at their eyes and all of that will go to an ophthalmologist who will examine the results and uh, decide whether or not They just need to renew their prescription or whether they go need need to see an eye care professional. I spoke with Joel Wyschkowski, who is the founder and CEO of Simple Contacts. And uh, he is a a tech professional who has uh, created disruptive companies in the past. And Simple Contacts is uh, trying to do the same in healthcare. It's it's targeting optometry first, but as Joel indicate, he is uh, looking at other areas in healthcare as well. And uh, he's also working he's with uh, some interesting partners in this, some investors in his company. I'll let Joel talk about that, but it really does sort of present uh, an interesting uh, difference of opinions in uh, between eye care professionals as to how contact lenses should be renewed so I won't say much more. I really enjoyed the conversation with Joel and I uh, really enjoy the broader conversation about uh, how telehealth should or should not disrupt I care. Before I uh, get into this conversation, though, I would like to remind you that OIS at AO is happening on October 25th. The OISX Gala is happening the night before. You should attend both. Please go to ois.net to register for OIS at AO. and uh, hopefully you'll do it in time. You'll re- sit, get one of the uh, limited seats that will be uh, available at OISX, which is uh, really a celebration of all of you and all of the support you've given OIS at AAO and our other events as well in the past. Now let's get into this conversation with Joel Wiskowski Well, Joel Wishkowski, welcome to the OIS podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. So, I want to learn more about your company, Simple Contacts. Uh, we're uh, an ophthalmology podcast. We we focus on eye care. We've seen some movement in sort of home monitoring of eye care, uh, eye care, or eye diseases, but really haven't seen sort of a, a an effort like this that that is reaching out on more of a consumer level. So tell us a bit about the origins of, uh, of Simple Contacts. Yeah,
1: it really starts with my interaction with the U.S. healthcare system. There's a lot of things that are problematic about it. One of the pieces that's sort of enormously inefficient is the fact that there's always routine prescription rules that require this in-person doctor's office visit. Uh, in the case of ophthalmology and contact lenses in particular, 80 percent of the time, you know, patients for contact lens renewals get the same exact prescription strength they came in with same brand, same everything. Uh, but you have to pay for the doctor's office visit, the scheduled time of your day to attend the appointment, and you got to take up doctors' limited time. Um, and oftentimes that doctor you know, wants to be spending their time on harder cases and treat people with actual medical problems versus contact lens fitting. Um, but because of these sort of inconvenient visits and expense, patients often delay going in and end up wearing their lens as longer than they should or wearing them multiple times, or not following, you know, adhering to the sort of prescription of, uh, that they got. And this can actually sleep with serious medical complications. Um, a lot of the lens-related eye infections come from overusing contact lenses, sleeping in them, using the same ones over and over again, using dailies as weeklies, weeklies as monthlies, etc. Um, now, while we started out addressing contact lenses, the same logic applies to whole sorts of other uh, disease spaces in eye, in eye care and, and also beyond things like birth control, asthma, acne, and many others. Um, and we were sort of intending to both go deep in, in eye care, but also go broad into other markets using the same platform and same model.
0: So how did you come up with the uh, with the idea for, or wh- who came up with the idea for for what you're doing? Tell us a bit about, uh, about the system, how it worked.
1: There's a little bit of a collaboration, but really the idea came from me running out of contact lenses and needing to go in to get them renewed. Uh, The doctor, the septometrist was like, oh, no, you have to come in and see me. I'm not going to give you a prescription for contacts. Um, You're going to have to see me before you get that. I was like, that's weird. Like, I've been wearing the same strength for all the time. I just want the same ones. Like, I I see fine, no problem. Um, And it was clear to me that, you know, this this practice of requiring an in-person visit was a way of just getting me back into the office. To sell me contacts and started investigating ways that we could deliver that care remotely and came up with the idea with a ophthalmologist from NYU, Dr. Nagori, who essentially designed this um, set of tasks. And the task works in a couple of ways, sort of three components. The first is a health questionnaire, finding out whether or not the patient is um, healthy enough is a good candidate for online precision renewal. Obviously, some high-risk patients. Patients who have specific medical conditions, comorbidities, things that put them at higher risk for eye health diseases that need to be checked on, aren't suitable for this and need to be sort of funneled out of the system into a doctor's office. Um, assuming the patient gets through all these, you know, questions that comes at the other end as a good candidate, there's sort of two components of an eye health, an eye assessment and a visual acuity test. The first is a um, sort of visual acuity test for the phone at 10 feet away use a variety of technologies, including computer vision, machine learning, to get a patient to exactly 10 feet. We show them a bunch of letters on the screen and then we have them read the letters out loud um, while we videotape or audio record that interaction. Um, the second piece is a sort of a, a cursory eye health um, shaft where the patient holds the phone six inches from the face with a high definition camera. And looks up, left, and right, and uh, you just know, some other eye movements sometimes, and um, that's high definition video. So all this information, this visual acuity test, this eye health, you know, check, and this questionnaire, all this information gets sent to a doctor. We have, I think, we have uh, 40 doctors at this point across the country. We're operating in 42 states, and those doctors pick this up um, when where they want to, so they can they, they have an app doctors. The doctor can see this patient, watch the patient videos, watch the patient interaction, view their health history, um, and can prescribe them contact lenses if they so choose, or can either ask them questions, interact directly with the patient, um, or require the patient to go in to see a doctor in person. Um, Once that encounter is over, once the prescription is written, or the doctor recommends an in-person visit, um, we either offer the patient contact lenses through our system, um, or help them find the in-person doctor for, you know, any sort of uh, risk factors for their health
0: condition. So how how does that interaction between the physician and the patient happen? It sounds like the videos are available to the physicians to, to view when they're able to. Perhaps at the end of the day, they're home, they're sitting on their in their sofa, and they can run through some of these. Are they then, after maybe having a question regarding a uh, an examination, how are they able to com- communicate back to the patient and, and ask that question?
1: Yeah, the interesting thing is most of the doctors we work with—they're all ophthalmologists—and they all have day jobs. A lot of them are, you know, obviously surgeons or in the OR or in the clinic. And this is an extra thing they do on the side. And so they pick these exams up when, they again, um, oftentimes that is in the morning before they go to work, when they're on a break, um, when they're waiting for their kid to come out of soccer practice, or you know, you name it, downtime—they're able to review exam. We've had people review them on the couch while they're watching TV. I've had people say, hey, I've done a couple, I did a couple of exams waiting for groceries. Um, you know, it's it's just like you'd imagine, uh, you know, sort of an Uber driver or something else like that, where they of fit into their schedule. They can do it when they want. Um, so that's sort of like the interesting part about it.
0: And how do they connect with the patient? Do they do they have a back and forth? There's an email sort of exchange. What's the communication like?
1: Yeah, they, they're able to ask questions to the patient directly and. the patient gets uh, text messages or email um very rarely in certain circumstances the doctor can call the patient gotcha uh but most of the time it's a uh, hey you know i saw this you know interesting weird thing in your eye um when i was looking at your videos do you know about that mm-hmm. like oh oh yeah you know that is uh xyz i've had doctors tell me i had that for years um, but they say it's low risk. And if the doctor's like, yeah, it's a low risk issue, it's not a real issue, they know about it, then, you know, pass them on, give them one. But sometimes it's like, hey, if you don't know about this, this thing needs to be checked out by a doctor. And so the doctor will be like, denied for contact lenses, uh, please help them see a doctor in person. Gotcha. We help them schedule some time with an ophthalmologist in person.
0: Well, that's great. Because with a lot of other telemedicine, uh, apps, yeah. You need to really sync up your schedule with the doctor and you have to talk to them with the doctor. Obviously, if you're diagnosing a disease there, you need a lot more information than if you're just renewing contact lenses. But this is really super convenient for both sides.
1: So yeah, think about also just like the dynamic. Uh, you know, this is a classic question between asynchronous telemedicine, like we do.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: doctor and the patient are not synced at time and you don't need to like schedule a doctor's time, um, which leads to all of those issues, right? Um and versus uh synchronous communication where you know the traditional Teledoc or Doctor on the Man, where like you call a doctor and you ask them some questions. But like, you know, what we're talking about here is very structured approach to diagnosing disease. Right? Like um our ophthalmologists designed this test and designed this questionnaire, designed these videos to get all the information that is like at the best possible standard of care. Right. There's so nothing missed. Mm-hmm. Completely standardized all the information and if a patient is outside of the standard of care like it, when a doctor is reading it reading their you know chart it's big red button like this is not this patient is not suitable um, or this patient like this is a flashing red light like check on this check on this um, and the downside the down sort of stream benefits of using this model versus this video encounter is like because we have the structured data we have all of this interesting healthcare data that can be used to diagnose disease. When I call doctor's on the main, or I call a tele or I call a doctor on the well, like I don't get any data. There's no data to get. Like, I can't go back and look at all these encounters and, and have any meaningful insights. But with us, we have millions of videos. You know, We can go back and say, oh, let me see all the patients who had um, XYZ, XYZ health condition and all their videos. Let me see the demographics. Is it like, are these people suffering from this condition more often than these other people? Like, you get you get to dig into this data, and, and eventually, like, I really hope, and I don't think we're there yet, although I will say that we're, we're spending some time and resources, you know, doing research on this, that we can start to do some really interesting healthcare, like eye health disease diagnosis or at least risk factor identification. You know, take a video of someone's eye, even from things from, like, an iPhone you know, from a family video, and being able to, like, scan it with our technology, looking back at all the videos you have already compiled with patients that, you know, that have um, issues with this condition or risk factors in this condition, and say, hey, like, here's here's a patient that, like, otherwise you wouldn't know anything about, but, like, based on this video, like, our system thinks that this person looks a lot like these other patients that are really high risk factors for X, Y, Z, and um, I don't know; what will come out of that research just yet. But there is, you know, a strong possibility that, like, from just from a surface level video of a patient's eye, we can really start to understand some some things about their healthcare and and start to you know identify patients that need more uh, in depth uh, exams.
0: Hmm. I got a, a lot of questions. Really, this is really cool. Now let's take a quick break from this conversation to once again remind you that OIS at AO is happening. On October 25th in Chicago, please do go to OIS.net to register. We'd love to see you there, and we'd love to see you at the OISX Gala the night before. So go to OIS.net to register right away. There's a limited number of seats for folks at the OISX Gala. It's going to be big, but as you know, OIS and AAO is also very big. So uh, please do register as soon as possible. So we'll see you on the night of October 24th. And, of course, we'll see you all day at OIS at AAO on October 25th in Chicago. Now let's get back into this conversation. So n- number one question, and, and maybe I'm missing something. When I when I've, I've I wear glasses, I've worn contacts. I have family members who wear contacts. So this would be a really welcome way to get uh, renewals. But uh, we've always gone to an optometrist for those. Uh, do you work only with ophthalmologists or do you work with optometrists as well? And, and I'm in Massachusetts. Maybe that has something to do with it.
1: We only work with ophthalmologists right now. Um, you know, you probably, uh, like in any of your listeners, probably understand there's a dynamic between this optometry practice, the AOA, and the ophthalmologist and the um, AO, and sort of the interests of these two groups are, are and, and also their, their thought process around what is standard of care are very different. Um, some of the optometry, uh, optometry boards have actually banned their doctors from participating in this technology. They don't want to use telemedicine at all. Um, partially because they want to maintain the status quo around um, around a sort of like this in person retail exam, whereas the ophthalmology like world as like as a whole in bulk like like just I fundamentally haven't met anybody that, haven't met like center like real dissenters here have embraced telemedicine. Said like wow, being able to do this, cutting this stage of the way that simple contact is doing, collecting like getting patients. Like out of our office that don't need to be there, being you know, able to do this sort of do this in a safe way at scale directly to patients is super interesting and super great for our profession and for patients, and we want to support it. And so you look around the table for simple contact, and we're a well-known entity within ophthalmology. You know some of the some of the really big names and some leaders in the field, like the the two past presidents of RF, um, uh Dr. Doddick, the former head of ophthalmology for NYU. Dr. Kim, who runs ophthalmology at uh, um, at Duke for, for cornea, uh, these people are 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 both getting involved. With what We're doing on the research side from a, from a medical um, advisory capacity, and also saying coming to us directly and saying, "I want to invest in this company. I want to help you guys grow," and putting their own financial capital to work uh, because they believe in it. And these are weren't people we went out there and sort of pitched on it. And and interestingly enough, um, over the last I would call it. Six months, nine months. We've had a lot of sort of leading optometrists who don't really agree with their um, you know, lobbying group's uh, opinions about this, or trade group's sort of uh, stance, have come to us separately. and like, "Hey, listen, I know, I know that you know, as a you know official stance, our our trade group won't support you guys, but I really do think you guys are the future. I want to support it. So I'm going to either put money to work. I want to help you guys with some research um, and and getting involved. So." That's sort of uh, that's where we are with that dynamic and how we fit
0: in. Oh, that, that's interesting. And, and, and without taking sides in this, I mean, we're, we're certainly seeing a blurring of the lines between what ophthalmologists are doing and what optometr- optometrists are doing. We're seeing actually more uh, more diseases or more treatments that were done by ophthalmologists moving to optometrists, like treatment of of eye of, uh, dry eye or some ocular surface disease. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see this swing back in the other direction. But I, I, I do think that eventually, I don't know if you can just take a stand against this sort of technology. I mean, it's coming and, and the patients want it. So, uh, you know, it, it's uh, just a matter of time.
1: The, the point that I would make to your, to your listeners um, is that this is not a medical issue. Like people who don't support what we're doing aren't doing so from a medical, from medical issue. Um, or, or sort of pushback, um, clinical pushback. They're all coming at it from a trade perspective, from a competition standpoint. This is not like leading optometrists saying what you're doing is unsafe, and like here are ten different ways you're screwing up patients' lives. This is the optometry trade group coming out and saying what you're doing is unsafe. And really, if you look at what they're, you know, were founded for, why they exist, is to protect the retail and business interests of these retail clinics. And Fundamentally, that is sort of a conflict of interest. Um, ophthalmologists who don't, you know, honestly, like ophthalmology, you know, has more vested interest in keeping patients' um, eye health um, at the highest levels,
0: and they they support in mass. Um, that that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, and, and I wanted to ask about that. And and you you're you're not an ophthalmology. Person, this isn't your background, but this is your third. I think your third company. You're uh, you're someone who creates creates new company creates new companies. You're an innovator. How are you finding working with the ophthalmologists? You sort of answered this before, but uh, as as a population, as a profession, uh, it sounds as if they're they're totally open to this kind of innovation and to, to bringing new technologies into uh, into eye care.
1: Well, maybe I'm jaded because I've had sort of the privilege to meet with and talk with and um, work and have worked with closely some like really amazing ophthalmologists. But I, they're unlike some other, other other sort of modalities, they're just so innovative. They they they're looking for the latest great technology. Ophthalmology is really like cutting edge tech, right? Um, using like first to use lasers and and uh, really thinking. Broadly about how to innovate in space. Um, the space, and unlike you know, some of the other modalities where you know it only affects a certain number of people, um, ophthalmology affects everybody. Eye health around the world is a major issue, especially in developing countries. And so a lot of these people are you know, you know we're dealing with issues in, in sort of Western countries things like cataracts and glaucoma. These things are also impacting people overseas in ways that like completely change, like completely change economies. Right, like there are places in the world where you know cataracts and um, you know premature blindness are impacting the GDP of these countries, Um, and these people aren't—they're not just sitting on their on their hands saying, "Okay, well, we'll just deal with the first world problems." Like they're coming out there with really interesting solutions and high tech solutions to these
0: problems. No, and and I'm jaded as well. I mean, we our our meetings are the ophthalmology innovation summits. For that reason, ophthalmologists are incredibly innovative, and uh, and. Always eager to push for new uh, new technologies. So, how did you come to? Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the the business side of things. How are how are you paid, and uh, and is, is it all private pay, and uh, and how do you see this company growing going forward? Yeah. So we get paid by the patient.
1: It's, uh, it's sort of like the this entire business rests on this idea that we're going to create services that patients want to pay for and choose. Um, not services they're forced to choose by their insurance companies, not ones they have no choice to use, not like the only you know, optometry clinic in town. But services that are good and create value, and they choose to pay for out of their own pocket. Um, that being said, the you know, patients often have high copays for specialist visits like ophthalmology and optometry, and so we we aim to make our service uh, the exam itself less than the cost of a copay. So it's a twenty dollar visit. Um, you get a prescription, one-year prescription for contacts, um, and then on the flip side, if a patient wants to buy contact lenses from us, we also sell contacts as a business. So, sort we have two components to the business. We we sell this twenty-dollar uh, healthcare visit. Um, a lot of that money goes to managing the the uh, the doctor network, paying physicians, uh, paying for licenses and medical malpractice, and all the other things to go into running a you know a clinic, um, and then. Um, Patients who choose to buy consequences from us can do so, and um, and that also is a line of business.
0: So the physicians who participate are they're paid per uh, per examination that they do?
1: Yeah, they're paid per examination they do, no matter whether or not they refer to in person or whether they write a prescription
0: for contacts. Interesting. So where do you see this uh, this going? I mean, you could, you, you, as you mentioned, there's there, there's. A, a number of opportunities in eye care um i talked about dry eye earlier i mean i could see opportunities in in clinical trials and things like that if you're monitoring someone's eyes this would be a great way to do it how, how do you grow this company where where might we see other applications in eye care and uh and outside of eye care
1: i think there are sort of three components to this first is that our business is growing double just month over month and has been for since we launched it in april 2016 um so it's growing on its own, and that's a function of the fact that it's education, educating consumers and patients about the existence of this thing. If you know that you can get your contacts prescribed to you online, why would you pay more for a less convenient experience in a retail clinic? Um, there are some patients that need that because of sort of medical complications or high risk for certain diseases, or they prefer to be sort of super vigilant on all of these health exams that we can't offer. But for the most part, patients that hear about us start to use us, and that just sort of grows our patient base. Um, that's a big piece of it. The second piece in eye care is all around um, looking at health conditions using our data and doing research. Um, and then the third piece is taking our model into other, other verticals. So it's literally the same model I just we talked about in ophthalmology and apply it to some other sort of modalities.
0: Tell me you're working on something for strep throat for kids. That would be awesome.
1: <laughs> no, no strep throat for kids right now, but I think you'll see in the coming months some some interesting things. Um, you know, really, though, for us, ophthalmology is like a great sort of microcosm of like what we're interested in. It's mostly maintenance medications. It's mostly chronic disease. That's where America, that's where the U.S. is spending most of its money and time and like these patients who have maintenance medications have chronic disease, that's like the majority. Stress, throat, acute care stuff, like it's really, yeah, it's a problem. It's inconvenient for some parents, you know, getting a cold inconvenient for a person. But like for the most part, you know, solving that problem doesn't have a gigantic impact on a patient's life other than this one specific you know, moment in time. But going to a patient who has contact lenses, or one who you know has asthma or COPD or diabetes or all those other things and saying, listen, you used to go to the doctor's office once a year or twice a year or three times a year. Now really go every two years and in between every month, every three months, you're gonna be doing this online exam as maintenance. That's completely different experience. And for the most part, actually delivers a better quality of care too, because there's more maintenance check-in points.
0: Um, I, I think that's what we're talking about. Sounds good. Final question, I just want to ask about uh, your financing. You raised money recently. Uh, Tell us about that process, and and how did, uh, can you identify any of the ophthalmologists who have come in to invest, and and what are your capital needs going to be going forward? Great question.
1: Um, Yeah, so we we closed a $16 million Series B a few months ago. Um, The entire entire round was focused around two things. Um, One, scaling our current business is growing extremely fast, and you can imagine that As the business grows, top line grows, number of users grows into the millions. Um, We are in a position where we need to sort of get ahead of that growth in terms of our compliance operations teams, our customer service, like all of those systems in place for um, for one level of business need to be different as we're growing and going into that. Um, The second piece is to start to explore this in other verticals. I don't know. We're, you know, from a financial perspective, we're, we're really, really good players and fortunate to raise, obviously, around $26 million plus some, you know, un, untalked about money. And we're in sort of like a spot where we can sort of choose our own own direction now.
0: Do you like having the ophthalmologists, the physicians as investors? Yeah, I do. Um, we, we did something really
1: unique, actually, in the Series B. I don't know that many healthcare companies have done this. Um, obviously we have a number of like very well-known ophthalmologists who have put money into the company. Um, but we also, in during this round, went out and said, okay, uh, KOLs we have in the ophthalmology space, like, you know, people who run these big, uh, big departments, Hey, um, we want to do the same thing these are verticals. Do you know doctors of your similar caliber in X, Y, Z modalities? And we went out and we raised uh, millions of dollars from independent doctors and other verticals. Who are interested in seeing this thing come to their space so now we have our sort of like this not, it's not the informal advisory board it's like an email list this, this group of people that love what we're doing have put their money into it and are advocating hey guys i'm seeing this in our space like you gotta do this you gotta do this You gotta do this and we can sort of push them pull them for ideas for help for um, running letters for us or for helping us design
0: technology. Awesome. That's a great idea. It's, I'm glad that uh, that worked out. We certainly know of a lot of ophthalmologists who are uh, doing direct investing. Uh, it's interesting that it's and certainly some in orthopedics and cardiology we've seen as well. But uh, it'd be interesting to see more doctors sort of get a little skin in the game and, and get some motivation to bring new tech into what they're doing. Well, Joe, it's a great story. I appreciate your taking a few minutes to uh, to share it with us. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. All right, folks. Well, that is a wrap. Don't forget, please help out the podcast. Tell your friends. Let them know about uh, the OIS podcast. Let them know what you like about it and get them listening. The more people listening, the better. Please do subscribe to the podcast. We want to send these things directly to your listening device in the future. So subscribe right away. Finally, reach out to me. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. You can also email me directly, Tom at Healthogy.com. Healthagy, of course, is spelled like the word health, followed by the letters e g y. G is the producer of the OIS podcast and many, many great events like OIS at AAO, which is happening next month, October 25th in Chicago. Please go to ois.net, register for OIS at AAO, and we'd love to see you at the OISX Gala as well, which is happening the night before. We're going to be there to celebrate our 10th OIS at AAO, and we want you to be there. So go to ois.net, register right away, and we'll see you in Chicago.